Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are stoked to be here today. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the latest episode with Bart Campolo. We had a really good time with that interview. I feel like <laughs> there was so much we could have continued to talk to Bart about. Yeah. Hopefully people really enjoyed it. Yeah, we're, we've gotten a lot of good feedback so far. Yeah. I forgot to tell him that the episode was going live. So I told him a couple of days after it published and he goes, oh, I already knew about it. Some Some friend of mine in Iowa told me about it. And I was like, Huh? He goes, clearly, you've got some reach. It was really funny. So that's cool. Um, whoever out there in Iowa told Bart Campola to listen to himself, we appreciate it. So that's awesome. Yet I've been reading a really interesting book called Cultish by Amanda. Yeah, I want to read that. Amanda Montel. It's about the language of fanaticism. And she goes into the whole concept of how powerful language is. And mm-hmm. it's not just for religious cults or oppressive cults. She talks about it in a lot of different facets of life. So I would definitely highly recommend that book to our audience if you're looking to kind of dig into what happens in people's brains when they get hooked on a cult or a religion or a fitness or craze anything, or right? a diet. Yeah, or, like Peloton, anything. Yeah, all that kind of she, she really is going after Soul Cycle in this one. So I don't know if she's got some kind of oh, issue I don't even with, know what that with is. Soul Cycle. It's a fitness <laughs> studio too. And I actually have on my keychain, which I don't have here. My wife and I are in Echelon, which is like a spin thing like Peloton. And I have a keychain that says I'm in a cult. <laughs> it, has a, nah. it has a picture of the bike. So as I read the book, I'm like, yeah, I can see how this kind of fits the fits the definition. Okay, but that's kind of funny because if your organization is saying we're a cult, they're probably not a cult. Yeah, no. Right. Well, like cults say they're not. Cults. And that's why she kind of goes into the idea of and uses the word cultish, because even the word cult doesn't have a real clear definition So she uses cultish as a way to say there's certain things, certain factors in language that make an organization have the qualities of a cult. And some of those qualities aren't necessarily bad, but they can be used for bad in Mm -hmm. an oppressive situation, you know, like. Yeah, that's so cool. I want to read that It's a really fascinating book. That's the book review of the week. Last episode which was fraught with 80s music and loud echoes to introduce (laughs) the flawed theology in real life, which, you know, that may become a feature because Susie had, I loved it. Susie had a lot of fun creating that. So 80s music is so great. Yeah. Flawed theology in real life. I'll point out one that actually just kind of, I came across yesterday. So I'm a member of a Facebook group. I think you're a member of this group as well where they they talk about um, young earth creationism and evolution. And it's a pretty interesting group. It's geared it seems more towards people who are still Christian, yes, but accept evolution. So I made a comment in there saying, I found it like ironic that people in this group are willing to use logic and reason and science and data when it comes to the claims of young, young earth creationism versus evolution, but they're not willing to do it when discussing other areas of their belief system. And of course that got jumped on because it's it's a faith-friendly friendly yeah, group. Yeah. So it got jumped on yeah. immediately by people saying, rah, 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 and somehow it went down a rabbit hole of where I was attacking the existence of God, which I really wasn't. I mean, I, you were. You could, I guess you could take it as I was challenging the existence of God, but I was basically saying, if you're going to use critical thinking and logic to understand evolution, why would you not use the same criteria to understand anything else? So 
it kept going and going. It was kind of a lot of circular stuff. And I was kind of having fun with it because I like to stir the pot a little bit, yeah. uh, especially yeah, in, that, you do. In, in that group. It's kind of fun. You can't help yourself. But then someone replied with this post. And th- this is what I want to highlight as the flawed theology in real life. And I'll get your thoughts on it. So this person says it really isn't the same since God is limited to the material is not limited to the material natural realm. It isn't even appropriate to use material or natural tools like science to investigate him. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is a very commonly said thing. Yes. What are your thoughts? I mean, you know, when you hear that, what's the first thing that kind of comes into your head? Like, well, that the same is true for my imaginary friend. My imaginary friend does not live in the material or natural realm. So it's not appropriate to use tools like science to investigate my imaginary friend. Right. Or anything that's not scientific. Well, you can't investigate him at all that you can't investigate God at all. Right. Because the only method of detection for God besides science and that kind of investigation is revelation, right. which is the Bible, which is prophets mm-hmm. and shit like that. Right. And we know that is very unreliable. Right. So there is no reliable way to, de- to detect God. Right. That's why so many people are walking away from God because they're like, every other area of my life, I've decided I could use logic and reason and I want evidence before I make a decision. But when it comes to someone's belief system, their faith system, they throw all of that out the window. I find it ironic, especially in a group where they're trying to be scientific and intelligent. And there are a lot of really intelligent people in that group that post stuff that's way over my head scientifically as supports for evolution and amazing stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. The person basically ended the commenting by saying, I didn't say there aren't ways to investigate God. I just said science wasn't the way to do it. Oh, interesting. Well, what did she say that the ways to investigate God are? Well, of course, then she turned off commenting. So I couldn't, so you couldn't, I couldn't respond and ask and say, That's my question. well, what are these tools that we can use to investigate God? Because I'm all for investigating God. Absolutely. Shit, I would love to be proven wrong. Uh-huh. If God were real. Yeah. Give me evidence. Show me the money. But I feel like that's what you and I did. Right. For like a year. I, I, don't, I don't remember how long. This is what I did. I investigated God however I could. And the only way you could do that is by scrutinizing the Bible. Right. And history of the Christian religion. Right. That didn't work out so well for God. Right. And if you compare it with other religions and all of that stuff, you start to see that there's parallels between all the other religions, how they started. The stories are all based in the same myths and, and mythologies. Like for you, I think you investigated really deeply into Scientology, right? Yeah. That was the thing that really you were like, I'm going to dig into this and find out about it. And then when you started to see how Scientology was was wacky, then you said, oh, well, let me see if the stuff that's wacky, why I think Scientology is wacky, <laughs> is wacky about my own religion. Yeah, that's that's sort of how it went. I, it wasn't as immediate as that. Right. It primed me to be able to look at Christianity in the same way. Right. But it didn't happen until years later. Yeah. Well, I'm really curious now about what kind of investigative tools this person thinks that right. we have. Yeah, I'd love to know. For God, I really would want to. Yeah. Oh, I'm so curious. Does she have the, a meter or like something that <laughs> she can point up into the sky? No, that would be scientific. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, to me, the idea of like saying science isn't the right tool, what do you mean? Like, we're not talking about testing in a lab with a microscope. Science is yeah. a broad, broad term encompassing basically all kinds of research modalities and tools. The tooth fairy thing that we talked about in two episodes ago, I think. Yeah. That would be the scientific method, even though it wasn't science. Like it didn't require any tools or like special knowledge about science. It was just a systematic method 
of discovering truth. Right. And that's all we're talking about here. Yeah, that's all science is, is just a systematic approach to coming to a conclusion that's supported or not supported by evidence. Yeah. So I don't know what other tool there actually is to investigate anything. Also, the only reason that they have to say, oh, you can't investigate God with science in these kinds of methods is because we find ourselves in a reality where God is completely hidden and undetectable. Right. But if, let's say, hypothetically, we were in a scenario where God is detectable, right. they wouldn't be like scratching their heads like, oh, this is so weird that we can detect God with science. <laughs> right, right. Like, we shouldn't be able to do that. God should be totally undetectable. Yeah, I'll shout out to the book that I mentioned earlier, Cultist. She, talk, she talks about a phrase like this and it's it's got a term which i've seen previously but i just kind of learned the more details of it's called a thought terminating cliche oh yeah basically shuts off the argument because you can't respond to it other ones are like you know his ways are higher than my way is uh, our ways or it is what it is or don't lean on your own understanding yeah like and these exist in all kinds of religions and cults in the book she mentions one that happens in some version of of hinduism where whenever anyone would question something in their theology they would say why don't you just sit with that what and then the conversation was over so take it to god right take it to god just pray about it these are all yeah. ways where the com- the conversation is now over i guess maybe to them it feels like well we won because this person doesn't have a response and they're going away <laughs> yeah and then on the other side we're like that's not an answer. Like you didn't answer the question. So yeah, you're right. This is definitely a thought terminating cliche. I didn't think of it that way, but it is. You're right. And she turned off commenting, right? So she really terminated the thoughts. Terminated. Literally (laughs) terminated the thought. Law Theology Tip Line. When you see Thought Theology, let us know. Call the tip line now. All right. So today we want to talk about morality. And we, I guess we've been on a kind of a kick with this subject. Yeah, we have. I think, kind of unintentionally. Yeah, every episode, it, just it, seems, it seems to come up. So the kind of the, the premise of this episode is, is where does morality come from? Do you need God? We'll start off with our favorite place to start, the dictionary. So right. what... <laughs> What's the definition of morality? From the Oxford Dictionary, it is the principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. So I like that there's right and wrong and good and bad in the same definition because it's hard to define morality in terms of like what is good, what's bad. Well, what's good? It's things that are beneficial. Okay, what's beneficial? Things that are good. Right. I've seen in debates between theists and non-theists that theists say if you can't define good without using the word good or like synonyms of good, then there's a God. And right. That's that's a hard thing to define. Yeah. Right and wrong is based on someone's opinion a lot of times. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and now we're getting into the like, is it objective or subjective? Which we're going to get into that. But like, I'm just saying like from the very outset, just the definition of morality, the definition of good and bad, right. it is not easy to pin down. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard word to really nail down because, and it's also like a loaded term, you know, because you hear the word morality immediately. What comes to my mind is things around purity and sexual sexuality. Mm. That's what I think of when you think about morals because of how I was raised with purity culture. And yeah, but then someone else hears the word morality and they may think about 
something related to social justice. They may look at, you know, poverty is a moral issue and Mm -hmm. somebody else might not even think of that as a moral issue or whatever. So yeah, you have to define what is right and wrong and what is good and bad. And that's pretty hard to do. Yeah. So I think we're just going to rely on the common sense definition of good and bad for the sake of this, because otherwise we won't be able to talk about it at all. Right. Yeah. It really is like a philosophical question article that you referenced from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy that says morality is a set of customs and habits that shape how we think about how we should live or about what is a good human life. Right. Customs and habits are in general are man-made and subjective. Right. Everyone would say, oh, well, that's that country's custom or that culture's custom. Where did it come from? Well, they made it. And that's a subjective thing. Yeah. So according to that definition, morality is something that is cultural and created by man. Yeah. So how do Christians claim that we get morality? Well, of course, Christians say that they get their morality from God. But how how are they going to get it from God? What's the mechanism? Mm, What's the mechanism? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few ways that I've heard Christians say that we get our morality from God. He gives us commands in the Bible or we get our morality from a code that's imprinted on us. It's like instinctual. Right. This is what my brother-in-law said. I have a code imprinted on my heart. The code imprinted. Yeah. It's like an instinct or, I mean, I use the word conscience. Mm -hmm. You instinctually know what's right and wrong, but then how do you explain other cultures where they kill and eat their neighbor? Yeah. (laughs) And there's no concern about it. Like, is their code messed up? Like, do they need a software patch? What happened? Like what, when that patch. got imprinted was like the plate loose. Like what happened? That's a great question. Yeah. So I'm not sure if theists will say that both are working together in tandem to give us our morality or if they ascribe to one or the other. Yeah. I would think that most would say that it's kind of a conglomeration of both of those things, because you'll even see in the Bible where there's clear cut things that are, you know, moral principles like the 10 commandments, which we've addressed as how awful they are already. Yeah. You got places where God said, do not do this or, or do this. But then you also see other verses where it says, oh, well, if you didn't have the law and the prophets, you have nature or you have the witness of other people to tell you what to do. So to me, that sounds like you kind of get a mixture of both things. Okay. I think that the average Christian hasn't thought about it this deeply. No. They just think morals come from God and they don't think about the mechanism or how that actually happens. Right. But when you start to think about it, it really falls apart. Right. All right. So the first thing that we're going to debunk is that morality consists of God's commands. And this could be like from the Bible or from the imprinted moral code. Right. This idea that morality comes from God's commands can be taken two ways. Either that A, God's commands inform us about what is right and what is wrong. Or B, God's commands make some actions right and some actions wrong. So here's an example to kind of differentiate the two of those. When God says don't steal, is that because stealing is already wrong by some other standard? Or does the very act of God commanding us not to steal make stealing wrong? You see the difference? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I would say as a Christian, they would say both. Both. (laughs) Which, of course, it can't. It can't be both. It can't be both. It can't be both. It has to be either God told me or God said it's wrong, so it's wrong, or there's something else that makes it wrong and God's just sharing the knowledge, which, of course, they would never go for. Right. Why not? Because God creates all the other stuff. Right. God has to be the source for everything. Right, right. So, yeah, they don't want to admit that there's a higher standard that God has to set his laws against. Right. So that means that they have to go with number two, which is also problematic because then good and bad become meaningless. 
good and bad don't mean anything. It just comes down to God says do it or God says don't do it. Right. So he's arbitrarily putting things in a good column or a bad column. Right. Yeah, because what's his morality based on? Well, because he's <laughs> yeah, exactly because he's perfect and he's omniscient and omnipotent and omnibenevolent and omnipresent and all the omnis that we know are are horseshit. Because he is all these things, everything he says is perfect and correct. Right. But it's all very circular. Like right. you can't say God is good because everything he commands is good and everything he commands is good because he commanded it because God is good. Right. <laughs> That's circular. So what if tomorrow God says murder is good? You guys can murder now. Right. It's fine. Yeah. Would we say that now murder is good or would we say now God is bad? Right. So that's like a really thought provoking question to like get you thinking right. like, oh, no, I would still say murder is bad. Right. I would have to say God is bad. Right. Too. But they would never admit that because then they well, and you see this happen in everyday you life. You see this happen. Yep. When God murders in the Old Testament, that's suddenly good murder. <laughs> right. It's fine. Right. God did it. It's fine. Even when he, he murders in the it. New Testament, he, he knocked off Ananias and Sapphira pretty it's, handily. Yeah. It's our favorite thing <laughs> yeah. to mention. Like, yeah, even Bert brought it up. Right. You can't say <laughs> that the Old Testament God is the only one who kills people because it happens in the New Testament too. So true. Everything is very circular. I like your your discussion here. It's like I have a button dispenser machine, and everything that comes <laughs> out of it is a button. But then shoes come out of it. But I still say they're buttons. And I know they're buttons because it's a button dispenser. <laughs> it sounds, I forgot I wrote that. It sounds so crazy, but that's the exact kind of logic that it's people use. It's the exact use. logic. Like they, yes. It sounds silly when you're talking about buttons, but when you're talking about vast concepts of the universe, people say, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I really like the murder one because like, almost everybody probably in the civilized world at least would say, agree that mur murder is wrong. But if God somehow sent out some message, which of course, right? How would He do that? That's the thing. Be open to interpretation. <laughs> I mean, look at how people misinterpret the Bible or the Quran or any other scripture. You know, people yeah. use the Bible to kill people all the time. So you could argue that God's already said that murder is okay in certain situations. But most Christians or people in general would not say, "Oh, that doesn't mean God is bad." It just means that we don't understand why he said that or his ways are higher than our ways again with the thought termination. So where do we get our information on morality? Well, we kind of touched on it. We can't investigate God in any kind of scientific or methodical way. Right. And he doesn't directly talk to us. So the only way that we know where we get morality is religious tradition and the Bible. Right. Religious tradition, like we would have to listen to our faith leaders, right? Right. And the problem with religious tradition is that it's always changing. And they always say different things. Yeah, right. it's changing over time. Right. And at any given time, all the faith leaders say different things. Right. They all have different opinions on gay marriage, euthanasia, divorce, abortion, capital punishment. I mean, the list just goes on. Right. It's always changing based on what's going on in the culture. Or It's just not what you would expect religion to look like if they were getting one clear message from the divine yeah. about how we should behave. Yeah, there wouldn't be so many interpretations this is a little sidebar but uh, a friend of mine who has agreed to be on the podcast who's a pastor actually out in colorado but probably the most progressive pastor i've ever come across mm -hmm. he's always posting these really thoughtful questions about people's views on god and so he had asked some question about like do you think christians are this way or the other way and i had said something in there along those lines of like if there was a clear way to understand what god wanted it would be much easier to follow but there's so many different interpretations. There's 40,000 Christian denominations. Even the Christians can't agree with the Christians. So 
at one point do you look at that and say, well, none of this can be right because there's no clear understanding. Mm -hmm. It's a valid question. If you're talking about morality, you can't just say morality is a blanket statement that applies to all people yeah. for all time because it, it doesn't. It's all. It seems like it's always changing. Even if you're saying you're getting it from God, it's still changing all the time. Yeah. Go back 50 years and they were talking about or 150 years, slavery was being preached from the pulpit of Southern Baptist churches. Yeah, right. So like you said, at what point do you look at this morality mess and say, well, none of this is standard. Right. It's We're just making it up as we go along. So let's just evaluate what is best for our communities right. and for people and reduces the amount of harm overall and do that. Right. Okay. So back from our sidebar. Yeah. <laughs> I think the next thing of places to get information on morality would be like the Ten Commandments. So like we talked right. about with the baby dedication, we already talked about the Ten Commandments and how they really aren't moral. There's like one or two that are like common sense, no, seemingly good versus bad things, but the rest of them are, are pretty shitty <laughs> concepts. Yeah. So that right. can't be a good place to get our, our morals from our information about morality. Yeah. And just the Bible in general, it's full of weird shit. Right. I mean, I don't want to base my life on it. Right. And we'll, we'll look, I think at some of that weird shit in the next yeah, section. <laughs> I love some of the old, the Bible. There's a, yeah. I think there's like a, I don't know if it's a Twitter or an Instagram or something, but they have like, a Bible verse of the day. And it's, it's always one of those super weird ones that like nobody mm. would have like, Hey, we're going to dash babies heads against rocks today. Right. But the inspirational <laughs> scripture of the day. It's like, how can you pick and choose like from a book that says over here, I should dash my ba the baby's heads against the rock. But over here, it says, love my neighbor as myself. Well, not that neighbor. Yeah. No, yeah. Not that neighbor. All right, so we basically come to this idea of there's there's two versions of morality. There's either objective morality or subjective morality. So what's the difference? What's objective morality? Right. So objective morality is the belief that morality is universal and it is not up for interpretation. So what's good and what's bad are nothing more than a set of facts mm -hmm. that we have the ability to ascertain somehow. Right. The implication here is that morality it is what it is, regardless of time period, circumstances, or who is performing the action. So objective morality, by definition, it does not necessarily have to come from a deity, but that's what most people claim, right? So most right. Christians say morality is objective, and I think anybody who claims morality is objective is probably religious and says it comes from a god, but it doesn't have to. Right. I'm trying to think of, is there something that you would say that's objectively moral that doesn't come from a deity? I can't really think of anything, but really a deity is the only thing that anyone can appeal to that's bigger than them. So then they can say that they can rely on it yeah. as a source of, of good information. Here's like a little mental gymnastics thing. <laughs> if it came from God, could God have created our universe with a different set of moral laws? What do you think? Well, it's like that same question of like, can God create a rock so big that he can't pick up? It's sort of like that. I it's guess. the same kind of idea. It's like, well, if God's all powerful, then yeah. he could have created the universe with whatever moral code he wanted based on what his view of morality is. So yeah. let's say that God had the Hitler mindset and he decided that I'm going to create a universe where the moral code is, we're going to have rampant genocide and that's okay. Right. Then would that be objectively moral? In that universe, it would seem as if it were objectively moral. But if God could have created 
an infinite set of universes with an infinite set of moral laws, then nothing about it is objective at all. Right. It's just the one he happened to pick. Right. So that's another, that's a check mark against objective morality. Yeah. It's just that thought exercise of could that happen? And if he couldn't create the universe. If he couldn't, yes, exactly. Then morality isn't determined by God and it also shoots down one of the omnis, you know, because then there's something that God can't do. Yeah. It hurts my head to think it about. really is. It's like, it really is mental gymnastics. Like, but this is the kind of stuff that like, as a Christian, I don't think I would have ever even thought about this. Right. Most don't. Like I would have never even questioned the idea of where morality came from. I didn't. I was told what morality was. Here's the set of things that you follow. And that's what you mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. I would have been a person that said, yes, morality is objective. There's a clear set of things that are right and wrong. You have to. And there's still certain things that you would say are clear, clearly right and wrong. But again, it's a different set of criteria. It's not because because God said so. Yeah, it's for a different reason. Right. Based on where we live and who's around us, these things are clearly right and these things are clearly wrong. So subjective morality is the opposite of objective, which so subjective says that our morals are all human made and can vary from person to person or culture to culture. Mm-hmm. Subjective morality would argue that there is not a universal idea of what is quote unquote good and what is bad, but instead what you may consider morally correct will depend on your family, culture, and the circumstance. Right. And doesn't this line up with what we actually see in reality? Right. Because I think Bart touched on this a little bit uh, in our conversation in the last episode where he said a lot of people argue that religion created morality, but for all of history, morality has been before religion. There was a set of things that worked for a given culture, and then they codified those things And that's what the religion became, was basically a codified version of that culture's morality. And then it spread from there. That reminds me, I wrote a little something. Can I read it now? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I came up with a metaphor for this. Okay. Let's say someone invents a breakfast food called a bluffel. Over time, news of the bluffel spreads. People realize how amazing it is. And soon everyone is cooking bluffels for breakfast. Then someone starts a bluffel club. A lot of people join. And the club grows so that at its peak, 90% of the population belongs to the Bluffel Club. <laughs> well, as the years go by, everyone forgets that Bluffels were ever made outside of the Bluffel Club. And so those inside the club look at those outside the club who make Bluffels and say, how can you make Bluffels? Don't you know that you have to be in the club to make Bluffels? <laughs> Otherwise, how would you... I'm tired of saying Bluffels. It's hard to say. That's a great word. Otherwise, how would you know how to make them? We invented bluffles. Only we have the recipe. If you try to make bluffles, they are going to taste terrible. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. So that kind of like highlights the idea of like, yeah. once religion came in and like it took over everything, mm-hmm. they adopted the whole concept of morality, but they didn't invent it. Right. And soon over time, everybody forgot right. that morality ever existed outside of Christianity right. or you know whatever dominant religion there is. Yeah. And so now the religious people claim, you can't be moral without God, without Christians, right. without religion. Because they weren't there back when it was actually created. They just... Again, it's stories passed down. Yeah. To me, I think you would agree that subjective morality makes more sense in the light of life experiences. Yeah. Morality only applies to conscious creatures. So the words good and bad only apply to conscious creatures. Yeah. There can't be objective moral laws of the universe if there's no conscious beings to apply them. 
two. Yeah, when the universe first spawned, there were no conscious creatures that we know of. I doubt there were that, you know, they hadn't evolved yet. Right. So there was no good or bad judgments. Right. It was just atoms and things splitting and right. fusion of stars. And Well, it was survival. You know, that's all there was. That's all that mattered was survival. Well, oh no, even before animals, like even before well, you're talking about cellular survival. survival too. Like you still had to replicate. Well, yeah, okay, but they're not conscious. Right. I mean, I'm talking about like, my opinion is that morality is based on the experience of conscious creatures, right? Right. So minimizing harm to conscious creatures, if they can suffer, you must minimize their harm to them as much as you are able to. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in the universe, I don't know when it was, but there was a point in the universe where there were no suffering conscious creatures. And so before that time, morality had no definition. It, right. it did not apply. And so how could it be a universal moral law right. if it emerged along with conscious creatures? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, because there would have been no morality if there was no nothing for it to apply to. Because no yeah. one was making conscious choices. They were just replicating or whatever. You I know? guess it's kind of like saying there is no light and dark before there were things with eyes. Right. Or if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear the sound, doesn't make a sound, you know? Yeah, exactly. So do we have any evidence that morality is objective? Objective, did you say? Objective, yeah. Objective. What evidence do we have that morality is objective? No, if it, if it were objective, it would have to be unchanging. Right. And all cultures would have to more or less agree on what it is. And even in the Bible, mm -hmm. so morality in the Bible changed over time. And morality is also different from the Bible versus today. Right. So there were things in the Old Testament that were moral, but are not moral today. Right. That we can name a lot of them. Do you want to name some? Things that were moral then that are immoral now or vice versa? That were moral in the Old Testament, but not moral today. I mean, you saw a lot of stories about wives and concubines, which was pretty common. And no one had anything to say about King Solomon and his 700 wives and 300 concubines. So yeah. I would say most people would look back now and say, well, that's immoral now. Yeah. But back then... But it was fine. It was then. okay. Like, what? Are, what's some you're thinking of? Slavery is the big one, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's one that people talk about a lot. And then there's also ones that you have to like comb through Leviticus and Exodus to find that the death penalty applied to cursing your parents. Right. Yeah, you're going to get stoned <laughs> if you curse out your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Sacrificing to other gods. So if you're not Christian, right? I guess, or back then Jewish, yeah, or whatever it was, yeah, whatever, whatever they called it back then. A woman, though not a man, having sex before marriage, right? Exploring a different religion. This goes along with the sacrificing to other gods, adultery, being a fortune teller. And I don't know any Christian who would say like we should go down like Main Street and shoot all the psychics. Right. That's crazy. There are people that probably protest them and think that they're evil, but sure, yeah. fine, do that. Freedom of speech. Yeah. Don't kill them. Yeah. Okay. Working on the Sabbath. That's still a thing for some religions. You can't work on the Sabbath. Right, but it's a death penalty. Oh yeah, not death penalty. Eating and drinking too much. That's actually something that that was deserving of the death penalty. That's crazy. That's Deuteronomy twenty-one. If you were gluttonous, then you would get the death penalty. There'd be a lot of dead people today. Like if they were still following through on that. Everybody on my 600 pound life would be dead. Right. And you, and I wonder if like the, the preachers would be preaching so hard against gluttony the way they do against homosexuality and abortion. Yep. If they were going to get killed for eating too much at Golden Corral after church. Yeah. <laughs> not being religious. So not being a different religion, but not being religious. Right. Whore daughters of priests were burned alive with fire. Well, that's no fun. So if you're the daughter of a priest and you have sex outside of marriage, right. even just once, you're a whore and you are burned with fire. Thanks, Leviticus. Yeah. Leviticus, you're so great. I know. Men who lie with men, animals who are raped by humans are killed. The animals are killed, but not the, the animals not are killed. The human. 
Leviticus 20. Uh, oh, I I think there was a punishment for the human too, but right. I'm not, I don't remember But it wasn't what it was. death apparently. I don't remember. Could have been. But the animals, that's, yeah. that's kind of weird. Like, well, the animals defiled, right? Right. That's the whole idea of like, you know, things being clean and un- unclean. And the whole Levitical law was based around that idea of clean versus unclean. Which we know is complete bullshit. Right. <laughs> right? So like everything they believed was bullshit. Yeah, it was all just arbitrary. There's nothing wrong with eating pork and shellfish. Right. And they were all just arbitrary laws like that some old dudes came up with 633 lists of shit you can't do. And I'm sure that they were based on like actual observations that they made like, oh, Frank over there ate shellfish and he died a day later because, you know, because it was like old or they didn't cook it or something. You ate raw shrimp. So now they're like, oh, no shellfish, never. (laughs) Right. And then, of course, they assigned it to God said no shellfish. So that way people wouldn't do it. Yeah. So you got a lot of weird things that that God hated. If God didn't like them, then that made them immoral. Yes. Yeah. So what are some of those? Yeah. Like so women wearing men's clothes. That's a good one. Semen and menstrual blood. Those are obviously immoral. Which is funny because God made them. Right. <laughs> right. And they're kind of the like one of the first commandments was go be fruitful and multiply, which you can't do without semen. Yeah. And you can't do without a menstrual cycle. Hate to clue mm-hmm. you in there, science people, but that's immoral. They just please God. Oh, getting remarried. That's bad. Oh, bad, Phil. Bad. Awful. Making peace with those who smote you. That makes, that's a good one. So (laughs) someone hit you in the face, you made peace with them. That made God bad, which seems kind of counter to the golden rule or later where Jesus said, somebody slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. (laughs) So that's Deuteronomy 23. Yeah, God must have changed his mind on that one. This is one of your favorites. It is. Yes. One of my favorites. Disabled people, blind people, little people, hunchback, those with blemishes. And let's not forget. The huge population of people with crushed testicles. Yes. They cannot approach the altar. They are unclean. <laughs> How many people are getting their testicles crushed back then that they had to make a rule that you can't go to temple if your testicles are crushed? I, I don't know. What kind of activities were they engaging in? And newsflash, if your testicles are crushed, you're not going to temple anyway. Because you're in pain? Yeah. I mean, you're not going anywhere. You're in trouble. Yeah. Because your testicles are in major pain. Yeah. Well, I've talked about this one before because my dad um, was born with not crushed, but mangled. Okay. Hand. Oh, right. I mean, it looks mangled. It's like shrunken and he had to have a bunch of surgeries on it. It was like, it was webbed when he, when um, he was born. Right. It gets noticeable. Like you look at his hand uh-huh. and it looks like, you know, in Deadpool when like he lost his head yeah. and then it grew back. It kind of looks okay. like. Okay. <laughs> Does your dad have superpowers too or? No, okay. I wish. That'd be great, but. So yeah, I always think, I always wonder like, does my dad know about this verse? And if so, what does he think of it? Because God thinks he's unclean. Yeah. Undeserving. But then he'll say, well, grace covered my withered hand, so he's good to go. So Why does it need grace in the first place? Well, don't start yeah. using logic, Krasuzzi. Come on. It's not why we're here. <laughs> this is a good one. Inadvertently glimpsing one's genitalia while ascending the steps to the altar. I can see this happening if you're wearing robes, I guess, you know, because that was the, the cultural garb. And you forgot to wear underwear. Well, they didn't have underwear because that was not a thing. So <laughs> how come I keep getting all the genitalia ones? They didn't. What, what's going on here? Like. Hang on, they didn't have underwear. I don't think so. What? How? What? What? I don't know. I just assumed they had something. <laughs> well, maybe that. I think like if there's some description of like what the priests wore and and all that stuff, and it was a lot of different layers of stuff. But I don't know. So the priests were were making sure they didn't accidentally flash it right. when they were going up the steps. Right. That's smart. Yeah, they wouldn't want to piss God off. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't boil a kid goat in its mother's milk. Oh. Like. <laughs> 
I mean, why does God even care about this? Someone's trying to make goat curry. <laughs> this is so freaking and random. you can't boil the goat in its mother's milk to make your curry. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, this is an example of like, if God said it, it's true. Right. I believe it. I'll follow it. Right. God could have said literally anything here. And people would be like, oh, yes, this is so wise. We should not boil kid goats in their mo- <laughs> its mother's milk. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Well, and a lot of people say, well, those are all Old Testament things. Right. And so morality changed. Wait. Okay, but there's also plenty of things in the New Testament that change from then until now, like women speaking in church. Oh, yeah. And wearing head scarves in church, you have to cover yeah, your cover head. cover your head. You can't wear jewelry or lipstick or any of these kind of things. These are all in the New Testament. So if those are objectively moral or immoral, then how come they're okay now? Yeah. And you can't say God's unchanging because his codes are changing. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Right. And then they'll say, oh, well, that one's cultural. You have to know the context. But anything else, you don't have to know the context. For Mm -hmm. homosexuality, context, irrelevant. But for women speaking in church and wearing makeup, context. Well, yeah, if if this was just cultural in context, what's to stop us from saying the whole Bible is just a cultural thing? It only applied back then. Right. Who's to stop me from saying that and making that leap? Right. They can't. Nobody can. This is something my mom said to me once when I kind of confronted her with some of these Old Testament things. She said, Jesus freed us from that. Right. Okay. That doesn't change the fact that there was a time when God said these things are bad. Right. Not to do them. And you can die if you do them. Right. Why was this ever a law? Right. And why would Jesus need to free us from things? Something that he created. Something that God commanded. Yeah. And God is Jesus. So like, right. The whole thing falls apart. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, there's a lot of issues with the claims that we get our morals from the Bible or from God. Socrates has a problem with the traditional stories about the gods, gives rise to what some people call, or sometimes call the, I'm not sure I'm going to say this right, the Euthyphro Dilemma. Yeah, yeah, you got it. It's cool sounding. Another band name. This is also the divine command theory, which we talked about at the beginning. Oh, okay. Like, did God say not to do it because it's bad Mm. or is it bad because God says not to do it? Right. I also realized, do you remember in one of our earlier episodes when I said I had this like puzzle going around in my head when I was little about does God love me because I'm human Mm -hmm. or am I human because God loved me? Right, right. I didn't realize I was thinking about the Euthyphro dilemma Ah. when I was like 10 years old and I had no idea about any of this, but that's what I was thinking about. You're like a little Socratic wizard. It's so validating now to look back and be like, oh, that was an actual point. Like my mom tried to smother that, but I had an actual point. Well, and it shows that people have been thinking about this stuff for a really long time. Yeah. You know, so the dilemma itself basically says if we try to define the holy as what is loved by all the gods and goddesses, we will be faced with the question, is the holy holy because it's loved by the gods or do they love it because it's holy? So yeah, it's the same idea as the beginning. But of course, in Socrates' day, they're talking about gods and goddesses as opposed to the Christian God, which is now how they're applying that same idea. And again, I don't feel like that divine command theory, which I've literally never heard anyone in Christianity mention. No one's asking this question. (laughs) They're not asking. They're just blindly saying, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Who cares? Yeah. We've gone through a lot of like what we think morality is not. We think morality does not come from the Bible and that is not a universal law. Right. And it does not come from God. And even if it did come from God, he hasn't given us any way of knowing for sure what it is. And so 
what I think morality is, is minimizing the suffering of conscious creatures. The definition of good that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, I think good is just what's beneficial for conscious creatures to reduce suffering. If you just put it in terms of like suffering and not suffering, then I think it's easier to define what morality is and what's good and what's bad. Right. And another way I used to think this kind of as my journey out of Christianity, like when I was in the progressive realm of Christianity is like, well, is what I'm about to do going to put more or less love into the world? Which the same thing applies in the post-Christian universe. Like, is what you're about to do right now going to put more love into the situation or make less love? So that the more love is obviously the better choice and is the moral choice the less love that obviously is the immoral choice. Like it doesn't have to be that hard of a concept. Yes. It's not that hard of a concept, but also the fact that it is that hard of a concept sometimes, and it's hard to know what's right and what's wrong kind of elucidates the fact that this is not objective. Right. Have you seen, you've watched The Good Place, right? Yes. Do you remember that episode where they were learning about ethics? Yes. And Michael just kept like running them through like the trolley problem and everything. And like a lot of those problems that they presented, there was no good answer. It's like, do you kill like three people this way? Or do you like... Yeah, it was like, do you hit the one guy that was on the track or the train is going to detonate in a town and kill a hundred people? Yeah, right, right. That kind of thing. Which one? Yeah. And there's tons of those like moral dilemma type things. And I feel like a lot of those conversations, sometimes they don't really lead to anything productive about developing a moral code or being moral. It's just like something to discuss, which is fine. It's thought provoking, which I think is what's useful about it. The answer isn't what's useful because a lot of times there isn't an answer. It's like, well, right, exactly. Thinking through the process and thinking through the question and saying, what would I do in that situation? It also reminds me of Batman, the Dark Knight, (laughs) you know, when Joker's got them on the boat and it's like, are you going to save the people on your boat? Mm, or are you going to yes. save the people, you know, and here's the detonator, you know? and Yeah. Or like, would, would you kill one person to harvest five organs to save five other people? Right. Like one is less than five. Yeah. So if you're just going by math, right. you would have to kill the person, but murder is wrong. And right. so what do you do? Yeah. Obviously, I don't think you should murder the person like that to me feels wrong. Right. But yeah, it's not always that clear cut. And I think that shows that that is evidence that shows that there is no objective morality. Right. It's not one of those things that's an either or. Yeah. Most morality discussions are not black and white. They're not dichotomous situations right. like even your example of saying do you kill the person to get the five organs well what's the situation did the person get hit by a car and they're not going to live anyway but their organs could save other people what what's the context yeah well that's an easier one i think it's just like if i walk up to you and i'm like hey phil you've got some nice organs there <laughs> I, I could really use those over at this hospital my kidneys are shot so don't kill me appreciate it <laughs> in your pancreas, yeah, my pancreas is no is good inflamed, yeah <laughs> But I think that that kind of thing popped up in the show, a show that I was just watching. Called, Have you watched Tulsa King? Mm-mm. A lot of TV and book references this episode, but Tulsa yeah. King, it's a show. I think it's on Paramount with Sylvester Stallone. And he's like a, a mafia guy that gets out of prison. And he went to prison for murder. But the situation of the murder was this guy who was somebody that they had chained to a radiator in some building. The building caught on fire. And so they couldn't get the guy unchained so he shot the guy so he wouldn't burn to death oh did he do the moral thing in that situation because he was actually reduce the suffering reducing suffering but he killed the guy now in the eyes of the law that's murder interesting you know but in his mind he was saying i did him a favor wow
to wrap up this discussion, I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that the idea of morality is subjective. And then coming up with a moral code is really about doing the most good, which I think is a slogan for some organization, right? (laughs) I don't know. Do the most good, like wherever you are. And that way you can ensure that you're making the best moral decision. Right. There's always people that are going to say, oh, well, the only reason to that people are able to do good is because of God. Can't prove it. Yeah, you can believe that. And then also, how do you explain all the people that are doing good without God as the motivator? You know? Yeah. And I think that morality and ethics is very well explained by evolutionary explanations. Mm-hmm. And we, we didn't really go into any of that in this episode because it would just be like a whole nother topic. Right. But there are lots of books and information out there ex- explaining exactly how animals and humans developed morality Mm -hmm. and part of it is being in a group and having to have group cooperation we all survive better in a group right if we're not living cooperatively and having empathy for those around us and thinking and considering our neighbors and our actions then we're all worse off right and that's really the crux of it and i think that actually leads really well into our other new segment the good human of the week oh good I don't even know anything about this one. Okay. So this happened back before Christmas. A friend of mine, her name's Emily. She posted on Facebook. I'm just going to read kind of her original post. She said, I have a friend who was surprised by getting laid off for Christmas. She's a single mom. She's incredibly hardworking. I know it's a tough time of year, but I'm collecting funds to give to her to pay her bills and to help her kids get through the holidays. My kids decide to give their share funds for the year. And I wanted to open the opportunity because I know so many kind-hearted people on my friends list. No pressure, no obligation, just offering the opportunity to help someone deserving who needs it this holiday. There's a couple really good things in this story. For one, she started this fundraiser. For two, her kids have a share fund. I know this because I've seen her post, like when her kids get money for chores or if they earn any money, they have like three segments that they put it in. One is for spending one's for saving, and one's for giving away. Oh, I like that. So, which is a really cool concept to teach yeah. your kids about money. And so th- even just that like makes her kind of a good human <laughs> for teaching her kids that kind of thing. Yeah. So anyway, from this post, they basically raised over $1,300 for this woman. Wow. Before the holidays, which is really cool. So she posted some of the comments that this woman posted that, that sent her. And she said, you know, there's no words. Please tell these people thank you from the bottom of my heart. She said, y'all are giving me so much courage. I'm struggling to finish it out these last couple of days and feeling in shame in front of coworkers. For some reason, this has given me what I need to hold my head high and finish strong. Aww. So she got laid off and then still was there at the job and she's trying to hang, hang in there. So she posted another update after this. On the last day at her toxic workplace, this woman found out that her mother had cancer. So she left this job early and was struggling. She was able to have a quiet holiday season with her kids and to attend to her mother who ended up in the ER and is admitted with severe pain and vomiting due to the tumor's location. After the new year, she was interviewing for jobs and found a place nearby where her experience can help them in an area of need. She wasn't hopeful that it was just a job, but it could be the job. Soon after, she found out that her mother's cancer had markers that indicated it could be treatable. Despite a devastating diagnosis, there's hope. Then she got the job that she wanted. They offered her more money and they asked her for the salary. Her start date and her first paycheck are lined up so that it made her bills payable right up until she gets her first paycheck. And she mentions your financial generosity started helping started out as helping a mom who lost her job right before Christmas and turned into giving a daughter time with her mother during a rough diagnosis, increased her confidence to feel stable that she could find a long-term job that fits her skills and her family's needs. 
Thank you, generous friends, for being part of it. That's amazing. <laughs> I ch- I'm choking up reading this story, like, and I know that I don't know the person or anything, but like, yeah, the fact that people do this kind of stuff, and I know this person, she came out of Christianity and doesn't believe in God anymore. Okay, so she's ex-Christian. Yeah, and so she she just does this because she's trying to help someone, and the impact that she made on this one person's life by having the guts mm-hmm. to just put up something and and ask for money. And then all the people that supported her, that's phenomenal stuff. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And it made, it was like a cascading effect for her, it sounds like. Yeah. I don't know if the person who received the, the money was religious in any way, but it's like if she had been praying for like, oh, please let me get a job. Please let my you know mother's diagnosis not be bad. Let right. it be treatable. And then all these things happened. Yeah. Of course, if she were, if she were the praying type, she would say, oh, God did it. Look, God answered my prayers. But like, really, it was people. And it was the people raising the money that gave her the confidence yeah. to make it through that situation. And then she just had some good luck. Yeah. Things things worked out in her favor. And I just think it's cool when you see like that snowballing effect of goodness. Yeah. You make a sacrifice, you put something out there in the universe, people then respond. And $1,300 isn't a huge amount of money. To her, it was. But to her, it was. It just goes to show that there are a lot of good people out there. And we really like to highlight these good human of the week stories. I think they're a really good way to end the episode each week because it and to inspire people. Yeah, it helps to remind us that like, you know, there's a lot of shit going on in the world. There's a lot of stuff that sucks, but there are a lot of people out there that are are doing good. So we want to highlight that and encourage you, encourage me to go out and do the same thing. Go out and be a good human. Thanks for listening to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Make sure to follow us on the various social media platforms and listen to us on any place that you find a podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. Connect with us on the Facebook group, which is called Dangerous Questions. And we'd love to connect with you there if you do have flawed theology and real life stories or good human stories, please send them our way as well. And we will talk to you next time. What evidence do we have that morality is objective? Crickets. (laughs) I wish I could rub my (laughs) fingers together and make a cricket sound. But I have yeah. not evolved to do that. Oh, I'll download a cricket sound and put it in there. There we go. Oh, yeah, that'd be hilarious. Do that. You are so blurry. I know. I just realized my camera got really blurry. It's like hard for me to look at. <laughs> and I've also got this weird reflection off my old man reading glasses. Why did it get blurry? Here we go. Let's just. Oh, that how's this? Fix it. That's better. I think it might be the overhead light. But if I turn the overhead light off, then. It's really dark. Well, it's good now. Let's just hope it doesn't. Right, I got like a ray of light. Like Yeah, I see the it's like from oh. heaven. Oh.